Apologies because I'm a little bit croaky. I'm just recovering from a sore throat this week. So you just have to bear with me. Um, let's just start in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the way that you love us and the way that you've just been reminding us of that fact throughout the service today. God, we thank you that you are all-powerful and you are at work. And I just thank you for Tam's testimony of the reality of that work in her life, Lord God. And I just thank you that as you're working in her life, so you're working in in each one of our lives, God. And and just pouring, pouring out your love again and again into our hearts, Lord God. And even if we don't listen the first time, you just keep pouring out your love. You just keep speaking to us, God. And Father, we just want to come before you tonight and just with an open heart and open, open ears just to hear what you would say to us tonight, God. Um, I pray that you would help me to express that in a, in a way that's clear and just in a way that's faithful to your word. And God, I just pray that you would enlighten our hearts, God, to understand your word, to understand what you are saying um, in this season, God, at this time. And... Um, yeah, we just we just commit this time into your hands, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as John mentioned, um, today is the first week of Advent. So, um, I have a, a sort of Advent Christmas-themed message today. So, if you'll turn with me um, to Matthew chapter 2. Um, We're going to spend some time looking at the the wise men. So Matthew chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 12. Okay. Okay, so, (laughs) after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, when they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So um, what I want to do today is look at this story um, through the eyes of three of the different characters. Um, I want to start with King Herod and just look at their responses to this story, to the announcement of the birth of the King of the Jews. So King Herod um, lived from 73 um, BC until 4 BC. So he actually died BC because Christ wasn't born, so it happens at zero. He was actually born, um, they, they messed up the, the calculations of the calendar. So they estimate that he was born between 6 and 4 BC, so right towards the end of King Herod's reign. Um, and he was what's called an Ichumean Jew, which meant he was from the region of Edom. Uh, so if you think back to the Old Testament, and we know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've heard of Jacob and Esau. So he was probably descendant from Esau. So the Jews weren't really um, accepting of those that descended from that line because it wasn't really considered they weren't real Jews. So um, he wasn't really accepted by the by the Jews or by the the um, the, the priests, etc. But from about 40 BC, he managed to get himself the title, the King of the Jews. So this is um, 35 years or so before Jesus was born. But it took three years of fighting for him. He was officially given the title for, uh, 40 BC, but it took about three years of fighting to establish himself in that position. But it was always pretty precarious because the Jews didn't accept him because of his, um, he was, because of his, I guess almost because of his race in a sense, um, because he wasn't a real Jew. And so he became a very suspicious person. He um, murdered everyone that got in his way, as was probably pretty typical of kings at the time. Um, there was another, the previous dynasty that were, um, the royalty in the, um, in the Jewish uh, state were called the Hasmoneans, and um, he married a Hasmonean princess in order to try to legitimize his position, um, but then was still so suspicious of everyone around him. One by one, he killed every member of the Hasmonean dynasty, including eventually his own wife. So he was he was pretty intense kind of person. Um, he reconstructed the Jerusalem Temple in 19 BC, and so when I when I read that, I thought, you know, that's just so like God. You know, God God actually used him to rebuild the temple so that there would be a temple when Jesus came. You know, so I thought that was pretty awesome. But he also built temples to pagan deities elsewhere, so he wasn't really um, devoted to God. But nothing he did endeared him to the Jews. So then you come to this story where these foreigners come into Jerusalem and um, ask Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So given what we know about Herod, you can just imagine his reaction to that question because he's been fighting for 35 years to establish himself as the king of the Jews. And now these foreigners are saying there's been a new king born. And 
it says in um, in verse three that he was disturbed, and in in other translations you have the word troubled, and this this word is um, a word of that means like to agitate or to stir, and it's a picture of um, of water if you um, agitate the water. So he was really troubled by this news that there could be a new king being born. And so Herod responded from this place of being threatened. He responded with fear. He was scared of of losing control of his position. And what I want to challenge us today, it can be easy to see Herod and go, oh, I'm not like that. You know, we we don't really try to relate to someone like King Herod. So we don't go around murdering everyone around us. Um, But I want to challenge you and just ask you to, to think about other elements of Herod's response in our hearts. When Jesus comes um, in our lives and asks for us to give him control, do we respond, yes, have control, take all of my life? Or do we respond by, you can have this little bit of my life, but I want everything in order. I want to be, I want to maintain some control. So I feel, I feel like sometimes there's, there's times where God is challenging us to step out of our comfort zone. And we, we don't want to step out of that comfort zone because to step out is to be uncomfortable. To step out is to be out of control. To step out is to, is to really to just to completely and totally depend on God. But I feel like there's this challenge here when we look at Herod to say, are you willing? How will you respond when God asks you to let go of control? Will you say yes and stepping out? I'm stepping out like Peter did, stepping out of the boat to walk on the water towards Jesus. Or will you say, no, I want my comfort. I want my little comfort bubble. In order to respond from that place where we step out, we need to know who our father is. We need to know that he is good, that he is loving, that he pours out his love upon us. And we we need to respond instead of responding from that place of fear, to respond from a place of trust, to respond from a place of faith and of knowledge that he loves us. And so even though it's uncomfortable, even though it can be scary at times, that he loves us and it is good. So, um, yeah, just in summary of this, this section with Herod, I just really want to challenge you. Other areas where you're responding to Jesus from a place of fear, or from a place of, of needing to hold on to control, or, um, and instead, just remember who our Father is and let him challenge you to step out, to step out in, from that place of trust, from that place of knowledge of who he is, and from a place of faith. So the next um, character in this story that I want to look at is the other wise man. And unlike Herod, not, not really very much is known about the wise men. But one thing we do know is that they were Gentiles. And so coming back, if, if Herod was not really accepted by the Jews, then the Gentiles were one more step further away. But what's so important is the fact that the, God chose to reveal the birth of Jesus to the Gentiles. And that is a foreshadowing of the fact that he 
would break down that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. And it says in Ephesians 2 that Jesus came to break down that wall of separation. And we see that foreshadowing here in this story that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles. He came for the whole world. And I think that's really important. Uh, so in verse, verse 2, it says, um, We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And I was reading in the, in the New King James. It says, We have seen the star that rose in the east and we have come to worship him. And I was so struck by that as I was reading this passage. We have seen. We have seen his star and we have come to worship him. In order for what we have seen to lead to a change in direction, we need to take notice and we need to pay attention. If you think about the stars in the sky, which really we can't see from the city, but if you were just driving, say in the countryside, and you saw the stars in the sky, would that change the direction you were heading? No, probably not. Because you're not paying attention. You're not taking notice. But the wise men saw a star rise in the east and they paid attention. They took notice of what was going on and that led them to make a decision. It led them to change direction. In, um, and they understood the significance. Um, so in Hebrews um, chapter 1, and if, I'm sure uh, a passage that John's read many times. Um, it says that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And I feel like this, this whole message of Christmas, of God sending his son, is God speaking to us. God was speaking in this fact that he sent his son all those many years ago. He was speaking then, and I believe through that same story, he's speaking again. But the question is, will we pay attention? Will we take notice of what he's saying? And I really want to encourage you in this season of Advent in particular to just to meditate on this fact that those many years ago God sent his son as a baby and, and meditate on what that means. What is God saying through that, through this account, through this story to us today. What was he saying then, but what is he saying now? Will you just see the star in the sky and just carry on? Or will you see the star in the sky and allow it to change your direction? And their response um, was completely opposite to that of Herod. They said, we have seen the star and we have come to worship. They weren't threatened. They weren't responding out of fear. They were responding out of worship. A heart of adoration, a heart of surrender, standing in awe of what God was doing because they paid attention to what God was saying. And I feel like as well this comes back to one of John's messages a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about stewarding prophetic words and just paying attention to what God is speaking into your life. Like, like even like Tam shared, she was saying that um, God just kept on speaking words into her life. You know, there's a, there's a responsibility for us to pay attention to what God is saying. 
And um, sometimes, you know, God will give us words that cause us to pay attention. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, when we went to a prophetic weekend, um, on Friday night, I felt like God spoke to me this word, world changes. And I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of a big, a big word. I was like, what does that mean? What's that supposed to mean? Um, but the very next day, we were standing around, and um, they had a, a presentation during lunch of their missions organization, which it so happened was called World Changes. And I had not been paying any attention to the presentation. I just came back after um, Ginny's birthday party, and I walked in, and then they said, oh, and yeah, it's called World Changes. And I instantly stopped. I was like, okay, God, you're telling me to pay attention here. This word that you spoke to me last night is now, and so... um, it caused me to pay attention. But I think there are many other words where um, where we have to choose to pay attention. You know, God can be speaking words into your life. And that's really what John was talking about, stewarding those words. So I feel like there's, uh, I just want to put out that reminder as well. We need to pay attention to what God is saying. So the last characters that I want to look at in this story are the chief priests and scribes. And they get just very, very small mention in verse 4. So when King Herod heard this news about um, the potential birth of a king of the Jews, he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. These are basically the scripture experts. So Herod called them and he asked them, where was the Messiah to be born? And they they said in Bethlehem in Judah, and they quote a passage from uh, Micah, from the Old Testament. The chief priests and scribes had all the information. They were experts in the scriptures. They knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They probably knew all of the prophecies that had been spoken. God testifies about the coming of the Messiah from Genesis all the way through Malachi. And they would have known this. But they missed it. They missed the birth of the Savior. And if you keep reading through the Gospels... They missed it all through his ministry, and they kept on missing it. They missed the significance of his death. They missed even the significance of his resurrection. And through Acts, it kind of continues as they keep missing the point. But they had all the information, but it was all in the head, and there was no revelation. And they weren't paying attention. They They didn't get it. They weren't paying attention to what God was saying. They had all the information, but they weren't paying attention. And um, they also had their own ideas about what the Messiah should look like. They had all the the facts, but they created, I think, like a like a box that that the Messiah should have fit in, and Jesus didn't fit that box, and so they missed out. And I think there's a challenge here for us to, one, for to make sure that the information we get is in our heart and not just in our head. And last week, John shared about the fact that what we need is not just more information, but we need to let God love us. We need that relationship with him. 
And I think also um, there's this idea of not putting God in a box, not saying, drawing this box and saying, God, if you show up, you have to show up in this way. You have to show up in the context of the 45 minutes of worship on Sunday, and then maybe you can speak through the sermon, and that's it. And I'm going to put you in that box, and that's what I expect from you. Um, Caitlin, a couple of weeks ago, shared with me something that was spoken at the Ethnos conference about expectancy compared with expectations, which I thought was really powerful. So expectations are basically where we do that, where we have specific expectations. But rather than coming to God saying, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to do that, and completely missing it when God shows up, but not in the way that you sort of prescribed. But having instead it just this sense of expectancy, saying, God, I want you, I want you, I want you to show up, but I want you to do it. I'm happy however you choose to do it because I know that you know what's best. And not missing out when God doesn't meet our expectations, not being disappointed because we just want more of him. We just want more of him. And so just having that, that, that sense of expectancy in what God is doing. And I want to um, just come back to and just compare a little bit the response between the chief priests and the, the wise men. Because they both had they both had information. The wise men paid attention. The um, the scribes didn't. They just had that information in their head. But the other thing was that the the information that the wise men had led them to worship. They saw the star and they came to worship. And if you turn with me um, to Revelation chapter 2. And um, we'll read from verse 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And I mostly want to look just at the first half of this letter. Jesus starts off speaking to the the church at Ephesus um, with praise. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. It's like, you're doing it all. You're, You're doing great. You're working hard. You're persevering. You, you are recognizing the difference. Where, uh, it says you cannot tolerate wicked people, so you've got correct doctrine. You've got all the all things, 
all your ducks in a row, as, as the saying goes. You've persevered, you've endured hardships. And yet, he says in, in verse 4, you have forsaken the love you had at first. And I feel like this is one of the things that I really feel like God is speaking to us as a church and as individuals in this season of Advent to return to our first love. It can be so easy, I think particularly in this season of Christmas, to be trying so hard to just do it all and to be running here, running there from this event to that event. And and these things are good and God sees them and and it's good. He knows our hard work. He knows our perseverance. But where is our heart? Where is your heart? And I, I felt like as I was just preparing for this message, I felt so strongly God saying, I just, I just want you to use this season of Advent, just fall in love with me all over again. And just so that we can be like the wise men and just come and worship. We've seen the star and we have come to worship. We've seen, God, what you've done and we've come to worship. We've seen the truth in your word and we have come to worship. We've come to respond. And we're not going to respond out of fear. We're not going to respond out of this need to control everything. God, we respond with abandon. We respond in worship because he is worthy, because he is so amazing and because he loves us so much. And so that's that's really my my challenge to you in this Advent season to fall in love with him again to come to see to see what he's done and to come to worship let's not miss out in this season by doing or knowing everything let's come with this heart of worship this heart of surrender and just fall in love with him I really feel like that is the word that God is speaking to us in this season. So let's let's not miss out. Let's pay attention. Pay attention to what he's saying and just fall in love with him. Let's let's pray. God, I thank you so much. We thank you so much for this for what this season represents. That 2000 years ago you sent your son. You sent your son as a little baby who was born in a manger, in an inn. And you, you spoke. Your, you spoke, and you showed the um, the wise men, these Gentiles, foreshadowing the fact that one day we, as Gentiles ourselves, would be allowed into your kingdom. Not just allowed, but welcomed into your kingdom as part of your family. God, I thank you for what the significance, God, of your message through your son. That we have life through Jesus. That we have forgiveness of our sins. That we have adoption into the family of God. And we can call you Father. God, and I pray, Father, that at this, at this time that, that our culture has made such a busy time, that we would stop and 
we would pay attention and we would just respond with worship. We would listen to this message of love that came all those many years ago through a baby. And we would respond, God, we would worship you because you are so worthy of all our praise. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts this love once again for you. For those of us who've been walking with you for many years and are just feeling dry, going through the motions, God, I pray that you just be stirring by your spirit in our hearts a love for you once again. Just like that love, that passion that we had for you at first. God, where there are embers in our hearts, breathe life on them, God. Breathe life and cause that fire to burn so strongly again, God. To burn for you. Where we've been distracted by so many things. God, let our eyes be be focused solely on you. Just fill Fill our vision, God, with more of you. So we see those distractions through that filter, through a lens of you. And they don't distract us anymore, God. Refocus us, God, on you and on what really matters in this life. Because you are good. You are our good Father. Just thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this church. Thank you for every person here today, God. Thank you for the way that you are drawing us back to yourself. That you never give up on us. We're never too far gone. You're just constantly pouring out your love again and again into our hearts. God, I just, I pray that we would respond. We would respond. We would just love on you and just keep loving on you. In Jesus' name.